Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my fine friends. Welcome to episode four of season six of the Tom Petty Project podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Brown. This is the podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty catalogue, song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, fans, and people connected with Tom along the way. Apologies again for the late publication of this one, folks. I was hit with something yesterday and ended up sleeping most of the day away. I'm definitely feeling better today, but I'm still a bit tired, but um, more than good enough to get this episode recorded and out to you. I hope that everyone out there is happy and healthy and looking forward to Christmas or whichever you celebrate, if any. Today, we're looking at one of the most deeply personal songs Tom ever wrote, the title track from this season's album, Southern Accents. I have a distinct memory of this song, not the first time I heard it and not connected to a specific person um, or place or anything, but a random event. So in 2019, I decided to get back into shape and began walking, then eventually running, progressing on to running long distance and thoroughly enjoying the rush of endorphins that that brings. I like to listen to music as I run or sometimes podcasts, but on those longer distances, I usually throw on a playlist. I haven't been able to run in a few months now due to a pesky back issue, but you know, don't worry, it's not a pity party. I'm not going to get into that. Um, And of course, my Tom Petty playlist was a frequent go-to as I went out to tackle those 10k to half marathon distances. I remember one spring evening, I'd rounded the corner that would bring me into the home stretch. And just as I got to the entrance of the forestry farm and zoo, uh, which is really close to where I live, after a really rewarding run where I pushed myself really hard, that opening piano line from Southern Accents cascaded into my ears and took my breath away. I don't know why, but my chest immediately contracted and I was somewhat overcome with emotion. It was a curious combination of sadness about Tom's passing, being overwhelmed by the euphoric beauty of the song, and maybe just that sort of otherworldly connection we can sometimes feel with nature. It was dusk, it was a beautifully crisp spring evening, and I'd just spent an excellent 45 minutes lost in music and movement. And so tears came to my eyes, and I had to take a moment to compose myself and get my breath back before I'm finishing my cooldown. And that's one of the most visceral memories I have from all my many miles of running. That one time where I was caught off guard in the moment. It's always stuck with me, and I've been holding it for months now until I knew I'd be recording this episode, and that memory flashback is as strong as ever, as I recall it. The recording of this album was famously chaotic, as Tom had built a home studio and lots of people were coming and going uh, and making the ordinarily very tight, very controlled Heartbreakers unit much looser and much more party-oriented. Paul Zolo says to Tom, It's amazing to me that within that period of craziness which was ensuing that you wrote the title song Southern Accents, which is such a gorgeous and spiritual song. And Tom says, I remember writing it well. It was around four, really, really late in the morning or early in the morning. I was all alone in the studio, everybody had gone, and I was playing the piano. And boom, here's this song. And so as Wildflowers would many years later come to Tom in a hurry, we have another one of those beautiful songs from Tom that sounds like it came naturally, easily, and quickly. Tom goes on to say, one of the best songs I ever wrote, it just appeared. I did it all real fast on the piano, and I remember I taped it onto the cassette deck, and I couldn't go to sleep. I was so excited about it. And the image you have in your mind, sort of, or certainly the one that I have always, is of him on stage with a guitar strapped over his shoulder. It's almost never of him sitting at a piano alone. Uh, but from the start, this song feels almost too intimate to share with the band. Of course, the arrangement has the band in it, but this is a song so strong that it can be played solo on piano and not lose any of its impact at all. We open with that stark, stripped-down piano and drum intro, only a side stick on the twos and fours and a shaker keeping the eights. As with the previous two songs on side one of this album, it's yet another step away from the sound of anything else the Heartbreakers has recorded to this point, and sounds like nothing else in the catalogue. 
a simple piano line around the F major chord, and the verse progression is incredibly simple too. Minor sixth, fifth, root. Repeated three times, then fourth, fifth, and then repeat. Again, super simple, yet devastatingly effective when you lay Tom's glorious vocal over top of it. So there's not actually a ton to talk about musically in this one. We do get the build in the second verse with the addition of that low note on the strings and those beautiful harmonies from Howie Epstein. Sitting listening to that string progression in that second verse through the lines, got my own way of working and but everything is run, is making me well up right now, or it was while I was writing this. There's just something about the way that those notes all fit, fit together with the huge spaces that are left between them. It just hits me hard every time I listen to this song. And it's specifically that part always gets me. Um, and that's before we've even mentioned the lyrics. To add to the emotion here, Mike Campbell picks up the melody after Tom finishes singing Where I Come From on that wonderfully played Dobro part. Most of you will be familiar with the Dobro, uh, the sound of it, even if you haven't heard the term before. So it's an acoustic resonator guitar with a really high bridge that takes the strings far from the neck so that a slide can be played more easily. And it gives the instrument a very easily identifiable swampy feel that fits with the theme of this song perfectly without being cliched or hammy. And so this dobro and this little four-bar section leads us into the bridge of the song, but before we get to that, let's rewind a little. As well as having a distinctly unique song, this song also has a somewhat unusual structure for Heartbreaker's track. You don't really have a very obvious chorus to the song, just the lines you know, that finish each verse, with a southern accent, where I come from. Song lyrics and poetry differ in many ways, and they also overlap in plenty. And this one reads more like a poem in its structure, and can be read as such without losing any impact in the emotion and soul that the song has. So rather than the usual A, B, A, B, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, A, B, A, B, C, B type of rock and roll format, this is close to A, A, B, A, or really almost even A, A, C, A. And again, this is deliberate. Tom doesn't delineate the musings in the verses with the final sentiment. It keeps each verse as a self-contained sketch within the central theme without needing the big push that we find on a song like Rebels, for example. It hits your feely buttons in a much simpler way. The order of the verses in this song and the impact of how they build a scene always blows me away too. The first verse sets everything up by putting that central motif right at the top. There's a southern accent where I come from, the same line that closes each verse. The younguns call it country, the Yankees call it dumb. Now here we get Tom actually speaking more personally, and not quite as much in character as he is in Rebels, though you can read the song as being entirely in character. But as the character in the first song on the album is tapping into the negative history of the South, here, Tom is really just observing the callousness with which Southern people can often be dismissed simply because of the drawl in their voice, which acts as a surrogate for the general inferiority with which many Southerners feel they're treated by the Northern states. And this is something that resonates really heavily with me. The part of Northwest England that I'm from, Wigan, is a very industrial and historically spit and sawdust working class place, with a very specific sense of humour, rich musical and comedic heritage, as well as a reputation for hardiness and straight talking. Does that sound familiar at all? Okay, during my time in the military, I was definitely treated differently on a few different occasions because of the way I spoke. And given a lot of time and distance away from that, I can also see how easily and stubbornly the chip on your shoulder can form when you perceive that you're being treated a certain way based on where you're from and how you speak, rather than who you are and what you can do. In the short 1985 Southern Accents documentary, Tom says that he has mainly lost a lot of his Southern accent due to being away for a long time, but that it really comes back when he returns to his birthplace and hangs out with his family. And again, I can really relate to this. Last time I took my family back to England was 2019. And as I drifted further into my old accent, my youngest daughter looked at me at one point and said, why are you talking like that? Which made us all laugh. But there's a familiarity and comfort in home, even if home changes. You never really get completely away from where you come from, no matter how long or how far you travel. It gets into your bones. And it's that sentiment that I always feel Tom is expressing in this first verse. 
it's a complaint about that outside of view of the South, but also it's an introspection on him still feeling that connection, even though he's really embraced California by this point. He's still a Florida boy at heart. For the second verse, we have this wonderful vignette of an itinerant laborer, maybe not too dissimilar to the protagonist in Rebels. No stranger to the drunk tax of Georgia, he may head south to Orlando, depending on the time of year, and whether the frost has made the orange picking unviable. And Johnny Cash famously covered this track for his iconic Unchained album in 1996. The album featured the Heartbreakers as the house band. Uh, and Tom tells Paul Zolo, that song really came to life when I heard Johnny Cash's version. That drunk tank line, I really believed it when I heard him sing it. So in this verse, Thomas switched from that sort of personal observation back into more of a character study again. And it almost has, to me, that Grapes of Wrath, East of Eden type of Steinbeck imagery to it. Lean times, hard men, and little hope. Alrighty, folks, it's time for some petty trivia again. Uh, your question from last week was this. Tom Petty's adopted son is named after one of his fellow Wilbury's bandmates, but which one? Uh, is it A, Roy, B, Dylan, C, Jeff, or D, Harrison? Um, and on the Twitter poll that I put up, each answer re received at least one vote, but almost half of you correctly identified that Dylan is the name of Tom's adopted son. Dylan is the son of Tom's second wife and soulmate, Dana, um, and Tom also had two daughters with his first wife, Jane, Anna Kim and Adria, the latter of whom has gone on to play a significant role in the running of her father's estate, as well as having as a career as a director in her own right. Your question for this week is this. In which country outside the US did Southern accents chart the highest? Was it A, Sweden, B, Australia, C, the UK, or D, New Zealand? Okay, back to the song. In Conversations with Tom Petty, Tom tells Paul Zolo, I love the bridge. The bridge was what made it for me when I found that. And he goes on to say, that's what makes you keep doing this. You get something like that. I remember it really well. There's a four-bar pause between the end of the second verse and this bridge, and the, the strings and Mike's dobro playing around that F major really sort of set the melodic tone. The strings then builds up to that B-flat D minor progression before the absolute showstopper in this song. That key change to G for the start of the last line in this section is complete genius. Again, it's simple and well-worn, but it's effortlessly effective here. The first two lines, for just a minute there I was dreaming, and for just a minute it was also real, are more abstract. And so with that sort of B-flat, D minor, they kind of have that similar, you know, ethereal feeling to them. But with that key change down to G, this sort of vision or memory or dream, whatever it is, coalesces into something more substantial. And we get that line, for just a minute, she was standing there with me. It's just, again, so, so, so evocative. And just that little change in key really brings out the best of that last line. The dream state of the bridge then leads us into the final verse, which, if you're not careful, can rip your heart right out of your chest. Tom's mom, Catherine, or Kitty to her friends, had passed away on October 21st, 1980, at the very young age of 53. And the devoted love that Tom felt for his mom throughout childhood and into his adult years is finally manifested in this last verse. There's a dream I keep having where my mama comes to me and kneels down over by the window and says a prayer for me. And this is the final anchor to the South, and the one that holds Tom most firmly to his roots, his mom. 
the one who, despite the fractious relationship with her husband, despite having a tough life and despite not being able to see the man her son would fully become, would always be an important part of Tom's life and love. Paul Zolo describes the haunting prayer vision of her and asks Tom whether this dream really happened. Tom pauses before saying, no, I don't think so. Maybe it was. I don't think so. But dreams can often occur while waking too, and sometimes they're just how the muse nudges an artist and connects them to their own memories and emotions, and so it would appear to be in this case. The song ends with the reprise of the bridge, musically, with Tom crying out over the strings, beseeching, searching, and finally compromising, with the final stanza, which does now act as a chorus. I've got my own way of living, but everything gets done with a southern accent where I come from. Then we lead out with that sparse piano. Okay, folks, that's all for this week. This one's been a slightly different episode, I think. Eh? Um, there's so little instrumentation to dig into that I, I was initially thinking it would be a fairly short episode, but I ended up realizing that the power of this song obviously is in how you connect with it. Yes, it's brilliant in its arrangement and beautifully played, but the emotion of the song is what carries it, along with one of the most perfect vocal performances Tom ever put onto vinyl. He sings very clearly, very softly, leaves out the vibrato in his delivery, doesn't push too hard, even in the bridge and the outro, but he hits every single syllable with perfection. Genuinely can't think off the top of my head a better vocal performance that he ever that he ever did. Room at the top maybe is up there. Uh, Angel Dreams up there, but this one is just it's so so good and it's so raw. You know, it, it sounds it, that's just Tom Petty singing from the heart. Really, really strong. Really, really powerful. And of course, you know, if any of you live in a different place from the one you were born and raised in, like I do, this song is really impactful. Where I come from is a line we can all relate to, even if we're still in the same house we were born in. Really. It's not even really a place. It's about belonging and family and comfort. It's about history and struggle and change. And Tom wrapped up so emotion and beauty into one song that sometimes it can get the better of you, as it did on a spring morning two or three years ago for me. So The Naxxons is not only one of the finest songs in Tom's catalogue, in my opinion, it's one of the finest songs ever written. Simple, heartfelt and beautiful. The live version that the band performed in Gainesville that is included on the Running Down a Dream documentary is probably my favourite version of the song, and I'll include a link to that in the episode notes. With all this said, I think it'll come as no surprise that I'm going to give Southern Accents the strongest possible 10 out of 10. And before I wrap the episode, though, I actually recorded the first verse of this on piano and vocals a couple of years ago and sent it to a friend. I never did go back to complete it, though, because it's it's kind of a tough one to get through without choking up. And because it's so personal to Tom, I just wasn't sure whether I could do it justice, but I might give it another go one of these days, maybe even for the end of the season. Now, I did rummage around and find that video, so I'm going to drop it into the episode here for you to listen to. It's a one take, recorded on my phone, so the audio isn't great, but you'll get the idea. And I thought, you know, thought I would share a bit of music with you. So, you know, give it a listen. If you, I, I don't know, I just thought I would share it. There's a southern accent where Southern 
Please remember that you can continue to support humanitarian efforts in Ukraine in many different ways, and it's the Christmas season, so I would urge you to give a little if you can, give a lot if you have it. Um, and as always, I've included a link to the Red Cross donation page in the episode notes, and I'll continue to do that until this crisis is over. The Tom Petty Project is a proud member of the Deep Dive Podcast Network. Go check them out on Twitter at Deep Dive Podnet. There's so many bands there that we were sort of digging into as a, as a network, and I'm sure you'll find something that you like. Honestly, they really are great people doing good work. Um, and I was actually on a live stream of um, And the Podcast Will Rock, which is a Van Halen podcast with some of the people from this network. So I'll maybe put a link to that in the episode notes too if you feel like checking that out. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Tom Petty Project and on Twitter at Tom Petty Project. And of course, you can find me on YouTube. So go follow, like, subscribe and all those things. Um, and again, leave a review or a rating or just tell someone about the podcast. Again, let's try and get this, uh, get the word out there and, and, and keep the love for Tom's music spreading. Um, keep talking to me on social media. Um, I love our chats. There's lots of people I chat to regularly um, and then new people dropping in and out every now and again. So um, I appreciate all your, uh, your feedback. The Tom Petty Project is not affiliated with the Tom Petty Estate in any way. And when you're looking for Tom's music, please visit the official YouTube channel first or go to the official uh, streams on Spotify, Amazon, uh, Apple Music, iTunes, or et cetera, et cetera. Don't forget to check out the Tom Petty Nation and the Tom Petty Fans Forever Facebook groups. Uh, if you don't already remember those, they're great fan communities and there's lots and lots of wonderful people in there and they're well worth your time. Until we meet again next week, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. Stay safe and healthy and I'll be back with you on Christmas Day with a special bonus tribute episode to the dearly departed Gwen Jones. Bye-bye. <laughs>